0: What the hell is the name of this thing? It's World. The award-winning Evan Grant. I can't even count anymore on my finger. Kevin Sherrington. Kevin Sherrington, number one. Barry Horn. Right. He tried to get me in mid Hello, everybody, and welcome in to this is the awkward moment where I have to announce the name of our podcast with a big-time guest on the line. And I'm just embarrassed to say it. But hello and welcome to Ballsy. You're In embarrassed about that? Yes. That, that That's name? a terrible name, Kevin. We have a terribly named podcast.
1: You used to like that name.
0: That was until I had to say it with big time guests on the line. I'm joined by Kevin Sherrington and Barry Horn. And on our line right now, we have agent. Super Lee's, agent. Super agent. Hall of Fame agent, Lee Steinberg. Lee, Good morning.
2: Good morning,
3: gentlemen. Lee, I, I understand you're coming to Dallas this week. Uh, before we uh, Tell us why you're coming to Dallas, and let me suggest something. Don't bring any heavy clothing. It is steaming here right now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but what I understand in my years in Dallas is if you wait a half hour, it'll change.
3: Yeah, it, it might It might be hot and not raining, and then it'll be hot and raining, and then it'll be hot again. Uh, it's going to be
1: hot.
2: So...
3: Judge, before we talk about your upcoming seminar, your upcoming Agents Academy at SMU, you have a link to Dallas? Did you come to Dallas often at one point?
2: Well, at one point we had Troy Aikman, Darren Woodson, Russell Merrill, Daryl Johnston, and a slew of Cowboys. And then on the Rangers, we had Will Clark and Pudge Rodriguez. So we actually had an office in uh, the ballpark at Texas-Harlington. Troy had an office in the, uh, there's a building in Centerfield. And so we had an office there, too, because we had so many clients in the city. And those were the glory days of the Cowboys. And the Rangers were pretty good, too. So uh, Dallas was like a second home. Tell, what, was, then,
3: what was dealing with Jerry Jones like?
2: Oh, I found him to be exhilarating. Um, I think the NFL owes a lot to him because it was the first time we had an owner who thought outside the square who really understood the potential for football to develop multiple ancillary revenue streams to uh, be a fusion of entertainment as well as a sport. And some of his innovations opened up the way for football to leap out and dominate the United States in a way that we've never seen a sport do it before. And also he could make a quick decision. So um uh
1: Well he cut out the middleman. there was no there was no uh, you went straight from the owner to GM so you didn't have to worry about the the, the layers there.
2: Yes, and um Again, those were very heady days because they won three Super Bowls. And uh, he he was so exciting. There was an old guard in football that wanted to to keep the TV contract with uh, CBS, and they were making $17 million per team per season. Um, I urged them to open it up to competitive bidding. And now they make $226 million per team per season. So a lot of new thinking about how to use the Internet, state-of-the-art stadia, uh, uh, the ability to move into fields like fantasy football, new apps. And Jerry and, and later Bob Kraft led the charge.
3: Did you ever actually sit across the table from him? And we've all seen the movie Jerry Maguire. Jerry Maguire is supposed to be Lee Steinberg. He's not. He's based on you. He's he's he's, he's some uh scriptwriter's idea of what he made of what Lee Steinberg would be if he was in a movie. Um is Tom Cruise shorter than you?
1: <laughs> how did us get to that. I don't know. I just <laughs> thought of that. That
3: is that's that's really Is that how you set up all your interview No, questions? no, uh, but but no cuz I was going to actually ask did you ever say to Jerry show me the money?
2: No. Um, show me the money. Jerry Maguire <coughs> comes out of uh, Cameron Crowe following me around for about two years. He went to the NFL draft. He went with me to the... Drew Bledsoe gets drafted first. Uh, I describe my biggest nightmare, which is to lose a player in that situation. And we go to the press conference with Bill Parcells. We go to Pro Scouting Day at SC. We go to the league meetings for a week, uh, Super Bowl parties, games, uh, in my office. Uh, is Tom Cruise shorter? Are you kidding me? Um, maybe he's 5'6", five, 5'7". Five, and um, it, uh, show me the money comes from we're out at the league meetings, and a free agent, Tim McDonald, is been with the Arizona Cardinals. He's looking for a new team. So one night, we're in Palm Desert in the hotel room that Tim has, and he gestures towards Moneyline, which is on with Lou Dobbs. So Cameron says, Tim, what are you looking for in this process? And Tim says, I'm looking for a team to show me some respect. I'm looking for a team to show me victory. I'm looking for a team to show me economic security. And Cameron went off and wrote the line, "Show me the money."
0: Well, there you have it,
3: Barry. Well, thank you, but I, I still—I'm I, 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 I'm not go. sure my question was answered. Can you post Tom Cruise up in a game of one-on-one? <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> and let me tell you, he's—he's well-built, he's, he's, well built, he's <laughs> muscular, but he's sort of. Tiny. Okay. (laughs) Okay.
0: Does that
3: that satisfy you now? Yes, it does. And now and satisfy me this. Tell me why you're coming to Dallas uh, this weekend to be at SMU.
2: What we're trying to do is to create a new generation of sports professionals, particularly agents who have ethics and values and who are trained to be effective. So um, I've taught on or lectured on about 80 college campuses all across the country, um, and I think seven or eight campuses in Texas. So we get deluged with 15,000 resumes and endless amounts of questions <clears throat> about how to break into the field. If you went to a college, a law school, sports management, any kind of business school, um, Today, the rage is to be involved in sports. So the problem is that you learn the principles of business or law or sports management, nothing practical. So SMU, on Saturday from 10 to 4, we're going to be teaching how to negotiate, how to brand, how to market, how to recruit, how to set up a charitable foundation, Um Uh, and the whole philosophy of listening being the most important skill drawing someone out um, and teach uh, how to be effective in any phase working for a team, a league but particularly in agentry and we've done this now in Philadelphia and Houston and Chicago and San Francisco and a number of times in Newport Beach and Dallas is the hub you know, of excitement in Texas, and uh, and so SMU's been kind enough, and I used to represent June Jones there, and very familiar with the campus. So uh, if you're young, and and uh, uh, or even if you're settled in the profession, but you think this looks more interesting, or just if you want to be more effective in life, you can go to SteinbergSports.com and sign up.
0: Lee, you mentioned in, in that introduction to, to the camp, you, you mentioned the, the whole idea of, of ethical among among agents. And one thing for me that I, I feel like I deal with on the, on the baseball side, and maybe not as much on the NFL side because free agency is so much shorter on the NFL side, but it seems like the, the social media aspect now is used As agents used to tell me, we don't want to negotiate publicly, and and I think that the social media aspect is used with anonymity to do just that, to negotiate publicly with with ownership. Do you see that as as a trend? Does that cause issues on on your end?
2: We live in a very closed community, meaning that there are only 30 teams in baseball, 32 in football, and... What will happen is that the relationships are everything because we'll do repetitive business over and over and over again. So at one point we had 60 baseball players in our practice with my partner Jeff Morris. The only sure thing is if you do one deal, you're going to do another one with the same person. So it's critically important to keep faith with that person. And not only will you do another deal, you'll probably do another deal Regarding the same player, so if you're dishonest, if you're manipulative, uh, that that uh, executive's not going away, and so and it's not like um, they're not aware of of uh, these different things, and in free agency, a valuable player has leverage anyway. So you have to be very, very careful. You cannot answer a question if you choose to, but if you do answer or if you do say something publicly, it better be truthful (laughs) because um, we live in such an oral profession. I don't know other professions where you would go ahead and publicly announce that a deal's been struck Announce it at a press conference, and no paper has been signed. So you live on your word, and um uh, once you've broken it uh, it it has more consequences than just that one deal
1: Lee we you know hear lots of stories about athletes and the problems they have we, we just We were talking about Darren McFadden in a previous podcast and the the lousy offseason he's had. And one of the things that has come up is that he has sued a former representative of his. And, and, you know, it's hard to say that this guy was an agent. I think he's just a financial representative. But would you say that when we hear these stories, uh, these are just anomalies uh, when it comes up? Or would you say it is a problem in the industry?
2: What, What I would say is this. <clears throat> the whole role of agency uh, needs restructuring because um, young agents have to look at this holistically. I do a profile and see if uh, a young athlete is willing to be a role model. Are they willing to go back to the high school, collegiate, and professional community and set up programs that enhance the quality of life? Do they have ambition beyond their career in trying to be productive? And so part of the role <clears throat> is preparing a young person for life. Part of the role is making them understand that they can set up a high school scholarship fund. They can go back to the collegiate community and uh, enhance the athletic uh, facility. They can set up a charitable foundation that makes a difference. They can trigger attitude, like when I had Lennox Lewis say, real men don't hit women. And it's, I mean, frankly, a good chunk of the contract negotiations, um, especially in football for a rookie right now, are modular or fungible. Um, so... There is skill involved in we, setting we, up... Vet-
3: can I, what does that mean?
2: It means that, um, that there's slotting going on in football right now, that there's slotting in an NBA contract. Um, so there's tremendous skill in negotiating and positioning a veteran contract. But And you do help a person come along and get drafted. But I guess my point is that um, you can make a real difference in an athlete's life in a lot of ways, but you, <laughs> it, it necessitates looking at a broader role in, in terms of setting up a financial structure very early that um, educates a player about the tax code and budgeting and the, all the rest of it. It necessitates making sure they understand that that professional sports are a discretionary entertainment uh, uh, option for fans. And so if a young person doesn't want to sign autographs graciously, uh, deal with the press um, in a decent way, and comport themselves off the field uh, in a way where they're not getting in trouble with alcohol or driving or relationships with women, then they should go play on a sandlot because um, professional sports requires those things to keep it healthy. So being able to reality check your client and counsel them in that way it has to be part of agentry.
0: Lee, I to that answer in one name keeps echoing through my mind and that is Johnny Manziel. Uh, How would you handle that situation at this point?
2: I mean, I think it's pretty clear um, that he's in a state of denial and at the root of it is some form of addictive behavior. They were never clear why he went to rehab but I assume most people don't go there for a hangnail and um, so the issue with Johnny Manziel is saving his life, um, because I, I struggled with alcohol myself and the way I dealt with it was to put my practice aside, have it run and gave it to younger attorneys and focus on being sober and then secondarily good father. And It takes work and focus. And so that's what anybody would tell him that was responsible that he needed to to do, not to tell him about playing football at this point. Um, He's a young man, and if he broke denial and worked on it, he could still have a long football career. But until he does, there's no team that will sign him um, without knowing he'd been sober for a while. And he has a ongoing plan, so um now, having said that, I wouldn't fire him publicly um I mean that anyone who knows anything about addiction knows that you're not helping him um, I had Ricky Williams, I didn't say you have two days to stop smoking dope before I'm dropping you right. um. If you take the client, you already know he's got this problem. <laughs> so if you don't think you have a reasonable chance of putting him into rehab, don't take him. Right. You know, don't grandstand. Do you, th-
3: do you think you could have worked with him when he was coming out of A&M and his life would be different now?
2: Um, it would depend on how much in denial he was because um, if he was already in an addictive state um, it's it didn't seem to affect his ability to play the game but later it did so um, it seems to have gotten worse and if but you would have had a psychologist or someone on staff that would have, you know, stopped that or at least gotten him some treatment. And so if he had willingness to do that, obviously there was already something in the scouting reports because he went so late in the first round. Now, he has some freakish abilities to extend a play and lead comebacks. He may not be, be prototypical style, but he can just slap play football, and um, it's. But they, you have to transfer him to a system where there are actual plays in a playbook, which is not what they ran at Texas A&M. Okay. But he he has to get help, and um, it's. Uh, so you have to have a high degree of trust. In other words. I'd have to be able to say to him, look, I have Troy Aikman, Warren Moon, Steve Young in the Hall of Fame. Ben Roethlisberger's going to end up there. Um, you know, I've been able to help. Uh, over, uh, I have eight players in the Hall of Fame. I have eight players for the first pick in the first round. I can get you there, uh, help guide you there, but you've got to be willing to take a look at your behavior.
0: And and if if he if 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 he says no, then you walk you away from the club. Yeah.
2: N- d- d- in other words, you, you have to have standards in this, and uh, be able to see that um, I can't cure recidivism. Um, in other words, I'd like to be able to, but <laughs> um, but is I. I, I I don't have it within my power. Uh, I didn't have it within my power to save myself until I ultimately hit bottom because the power of addiction is so strong, and I don't have it within my power to cure someone else.
1: You know, the the thing with Johnny uh, that has struck me all these years is that uh, I, I had one forty-five minute conversation or interview with him, and uh, which w- w- went fine, and that was my the totality of my interaction with him. But just observing him from the outside, just uh, reading the stories I've read, just seeing talking to people that know him, it, it it's always seemed to me there's not so much a matter of, of uh, addiction as it is he just wants to do things the way he wants to do them, uh, and uh, the, the, it seems like. He is uh, if you if you read the stories about his interactions with his family and the, and the things that his father says, it's almost it seemed to me like he has, you know, we have no control over Johnny. He does whatever he wants to do. And, uh, and, and because you, you, there are lots of, of guys out there who are addicts well, that, and, and, and they, that's and they, a much deeper issue than, than well, it than, is. Than and and, and so, so to me, it's like, you know, you would never know a guy had any problems. You know, he's, he's a good teammate. He's a good player. He's all of that. But he also happens to have this alcohol problem, you know, or, or, or drug problem. Whereas with Johnny, the, the the issues are, are out front. You see them. You know the fact that he was uh, he shows up late for meetings. The things he he kind of does what he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. And and to me that's going to be a, a a as big a struggle for that's him. Twenty
0: three to... years of enabled behavior. Yes.
1: It and to, so how do you you know? So it's, it's one thing if you've got tremendous talent and people think well if we could just keep him straight everything will be cool. But I, I don't even know if people feel like in, in the NFL that people want to. To take that chance with him is just because of his track record. Do you get the impression, Lee, that that NFL teams would will be willing? There are still NFL teams that would will be willing to give him a shot.
2: <clears throat> Absolutely, because first of all, to your to your point, before I answer that, how um, how reality basing is it if you have someone with that personality for? them to win the Heisman Trophy and have ESPN base an entire season of collegiate football coverage around one player. His last year in school was the National Johnny Manziel Show. Right. Every promo, every, um, uh, it, it was Johnny Manziel, that draft was a Johnny Manziel draft. And um, it certainly would be hard not to have that go to your head, Um, you know, to be the worshipped on the A&M campus, to be, you know, the whole thing. ESPN rode him like a pony. Um, That was the key to college football. Now, you will always find in pro football a coach who believes that under his tutelage, if there's raw talent, it will come out. Now, let's suppose there's 30 teams that think, no way. There will always be a coach, a team, a GM who believes um, that they'll get another chance. And that they can bring it out of him. And football is the most situational Game there is. If you can hit the ball uh, at, uh, uh, you know, at Fenway Park, you can probably hit the ball at Angel Stadium. But the fact that you can uh, play for the Patriots uh, doesn't mean you can play for the Rams. Um, different systems, different ways of looking at it, different judgments of talent. And you all the time see players who are struggling in one. Situation just blossom in the next situation. So, yes, I think he'll get another chance if he cures his demons. Well, yeah. and, and to your point about his uh, being a child of entitlement and ungovernable, <laughs> it, uh, this whole thing will happen when he hits bottom and whatever his particular bottom is. That's but when, he, when he hits his bottom, it'll come with some humility, and it'll be a, quote, new Johnny Manziel.
3: You you talked about an, uh, an owner who thought who you met uh, back in the early 90s who thought out of the box, who, who was always creative and was thinking Jerry Jones. Is he the type of owner who would take a chance on Johnny Manziel, do you think?
2: Yes. Um, yes. But... Nobody will take a chance on him on at that critical position unless they saw that he had a a doctor-approved or psychologist-approved plan um, uh, for for maintenance of uh, sobriety position is just too critical. This has become such a quarterback-centric league now. That position is so difficult to fill and filled correctly is so valuable that um, uh, what somebody would do is they would have a starting quarterback, they would bring him along in a system for a year or two where he'd mostly sit on the bench They'd restore his uh, confidence—not um, his cockiness, but his confidence—and um, and and rehabilitate him uh, within football. Yeah. And and so, yes, uh, uh, a a very confident owner and a coach who believes in second chances. We don't throw young men on the trash heap of history for problems in their early years. So, uh,
3: during the draft, you had a quarterback in, in this draft, in the most recent draft, and there was rumors that the Cowboys were interested in Paxton Lynch. Did, could you could take us inside that? Did, were the Cowboys that interested, in? did you think he might be a Cowboy?
2: Yes. Um, so, you're sitting on draft day, and there's communication going on between teams and us, um, there's a lot of talking going on behind the scenes, texting, you know, tweeting, all the rest of it. So, to the best of our knowledge, <clears throat> the Cowboys started trying to trade back up into the round around the 19th pick, and they uh, couldn't get a trade done. Then the 20th was the Jets. Denver started around 17. Um, And eventually Kansas City came into the mix. And I know that the uh, Dallas tried with the Jets. The Jets wouldn't trade. They tried with Cincinnati. Cincinnati wouldn't trade. They were probing all up and down. And then when they got to Seattle, Seattle, um, uh, Denver and Seattle were bidding. And then, what I think Jerry could have offered—he uh, offered a package. I think he—it was Seattle wanted a third, and he wanted to give him a fourth as part of the package. And then Denver offered what they offered, and it was better. And and that uh, sort of happened. And Paxton would have been um, awesome for Dallas because. Um, you go ahead and play Romo for as long as his career is. And then you've got Paxton like a bun in the oven. And, uh, um, but you know, the football God smiled on Paxton anyway, because he goes to the team that just won the Super Bowl with a hall of fame <laughs> quarterback as the executive and a, and a ex quarterback as uh, the coach. And, a killer defense. So, um, there's nothing like playing quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. Um, it's, you feel, I had all those years with Aikman and, and, and then Jason Garrett and Wade Wilson behind him. And you, Dallas has a national following. So you feel like you're in the concentric vortex of the football universe. Um, There's so much excitement, so that would have been wonderful, but um, it didn't happen, So, and Denver's been great.
3: Lee, you've educated us on a lot of things, but I want you to tell me how in six hours or eight hours you're going to get a guy like Evan Grant to understand how to be a sports agent. (laughs)
2: Um, First of all, it's laying out philosophy. It's it's an understanding of... uh, Of how many ways you can use sports to make a difference in the world. It's role modeling, it's um, triggering imitative behavior. And then the first thing you teach is listening skills how to draw out another human being, understand their deepest anxieties and fears, and their greatest hopes and dreams. That will help you in recruiting, in negotiating. In client maintenance, it's getting below the surface and drawing another person out to see what's really there and what really makes them click. And then we go through how to recruit, how to negotiate, how to brand and market, how to do damage control. So um, it's uh, pretty intensive, but Uh, we use examples and get the point across. So I just know the reaction of the people who've come, some of them have gone on to be successful.
0: Well, I'm going to tell you, Lee, that most of my anxieties, uh, as you mentioned, they revolve around Barry asking more questions. Um, We're sorry (laughs) to have kept you this long, but uh, this this has been great stuff uh a lot of insight. Oh, and
2: listen it's not like trump you we're not asking <laughs> you to give us your you life, life savings <laughs> so there's there's no advanced
0: <laughs> agenting course that comes after this one
2: <laughs> no it's um, uh, you'd be able to walk out of there with some money left in your bank account <laughs>
1: that's good to know
3: and 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 tell me once again uh how can I find out more information about this?
2: go to Steinberg com on the internet and uh it's our website and you can just sign up there's a student rate and a general public rate all right
3: lee thank you so much for the time
2: oh uh, my pleasure
3: again i just want to remind you don't bring any heavy clothing that's that that's that's all <laughs> and 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 make sure you have an air air-conditioned uh Auditorium to to give the uh, seminar.
0: Barry, you would have been great before the internet came along. You really <laughs> would have been. Um, Lee, thank you so much for the time, and uh, hopefully that that course will go great at SMU. And, and I don't think that uh, that those that that those people looking for what an agent does uh, would have a better potential teacher out there than than you and and what you've done for the industry over over your career. So thanks again for joining us and uh, we will talk with you soon.
2: Was that, balls? Balls? <laughs> balls? <laughs> okay, guys, so <laughs> long. It's Ballsy.
1: Bye-bye. <laughs> 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 Thanks, best I think that was the best sign-off we've ever had I, on I think this think show from a, a guest. Intro. I
3: think we'll have a new intro. For there the we show. go.
1: <laughs> there, goes, there goes Lee Steinberg, <laughs> who
0: may have been beaten into submission by Barry. <laughs>
3: He was. So Let me just be, tell you something. There will be a new intro to this podcast next week. I promise. You. I like that.
1: That was good though. That was my favorite one so far. Yeah, you really did pound him into submission. But I'll say this: you asked some good questions and you got some good answers. Yes, and i did want to ask the I did want to ask the Paxton
0: Lynch question just about how close they were to actually being Cowboys. I'm glad we got that in. Um, we got the Johnny Man, A lot of Johnny
3: Manz.
1: Got Manziel a lot of talk. Johnny Manziel It'll yeah. it make Mark Francis Scuddy happy.
3: Oh, our editor will be our digital beside, sports editor. beside himself with glee. Yeah. And Lee doesn't know this, but that probably just ensured that this will be in the newspaper on, on, on Tuesday. It'll and be it'll, everywhere. It'll get unbelievable play on, on DallasNews.com,
0: SportsDayDFW.com.
3: And I can't
1: imagine that that seminar won't be full. You, you, I mean, how many kids you, you, you think, think would if you want to If you
0: had any idea of being an agent, I mean, there are two people in this industry that I think you'd want to, to – at least have a conversation with. One would be Lee Steinberg, and the other would be Scott Boris. I mean, one basically created the, the, the football agent. Scott Boris basically dominates the baseball industry. And, and, and so, I mean, from the background of what these guys do, I, I just can't imagine that that uh, if you've got interest in being an agent, that, uh, that you wouldn't want to be at that thing.
1: Absolutely.
3: Absolutely. And, you know, it's such a glamorous position. I know everybody thinks they want to be an agent. But you know I don't, they, I don't they, know they how many get in, get
1: out. It's a lot of babysitting. A lot of ba- and, and, and a lot and, of
3: babysitting and protect and, and playing defense against. I would imagine other agents yeah, who are absolutely. always uh, encroaching.
0: And, and, and you know, I, I I knew, I knew Lee's former partner Jeff Morad um, fairly well when he was in when he was an that's agent. Right. He's obviously moved into the the, the ownership side of baseball, uh, but have developed somewhat of a relationship with with Scott Boris over the past twenty years, and. Uh, you know, people have their opinions of Scott in terms of negotiating contracts and things like that. But I see the work that he puts in when it comes to the support for his his clients. Uh, oh, if
1: I'm a player, I would want Scott Boris as yeah, my I mean, the, the
0: infrastructure that they have and that they put in and, and, and the things that Lee talks about are, you know, foundations and being a spokesperson and, and all of that. And, and Boris basically has departments. In his in his practice now that handles all of that, so the, the the business has come so far from, you know, what people thought they saw in Jerry Maguire of a guy running around and, and negotiating contracts and, and players jumping up and down, it, it is it is far more complicated. The the amounts of money are ridiculously obscene, uh, and, and you were talking about the different equity too.
3: Yeah, but I'm betting if you if you go to a school and you say, okay, who wants to be a sports writer, or who wants to be an agent, the the agent line would be. out the door
0: and and then there would be some poor kid there who we'd have to tell kid don't do this I don't know that that's true people still want to be sports writers what they don't understand is that there's no money to be made in this business Evan (laughs) Evan, what are you holding in your hand I'm holding a hearing aid okay (laughs) it's making noises
3: it's making a lot of noise oh is it yeah. ringing but I'm sorry. Yeah. but this this was i i think it was a different kind of podcast for us but i think it was uh yes
0: l- because you had questions
3: it was very like enlight- <laughs> you let me talk you you didn't box me out You
0: won't make that mistake again
3: so, wow anyway uh for kevin Sherrington, so kevin do you want to say any last words no <laughs> evan who is your agent
0: um the firm of Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe. <laughs> yeah.
3: And I'm Barry Horn saying thank you, and we'll be back next week. But don't forget to listen also this week to our podcast on the Cowboys with David Moore and the great, insightful podcast we had on the Texas Rangers with Kevin and I. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and we've got another record for longest outro. So goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye. bye Bye-bye.